Welcome to Thinking Reimagined, produced by Live Abundantly. Live Abundantly is committed to justice, equity, equality, diversity, and inclusion for the creation of a global society which respects the rights and well-being of all citizens. We invite you to visit our website livesabundantly.com to support our initiatives for women, youth and children. Thinking Reimagined, changing the mindset for For a better better global society. Hello everyone, welcome to the Thinking Reimagined podcast. I am Nifemi Oguntoye. October 2020 um, will forever be a day to remember in Nigeria's history. And we saw young people gather um, united in their demand from the government, asking an end to police brutality, and also even asking that the federal government scraps the special anti-robbery squad. However, the mystery that shrouds the lucky shooting on October 20 remains with us one year after. If you recall that after that incident, we saw state governments across the country come up with some sort of a judicial panel of inquiry to identify what really transpired. Um, all eyes were on Lagos. I'm sure all of you know that um, the panel ended its proceedings recently in Lagos, um, earmarking a few millions to victims of police brutality. And we were hoping that the private investigation, the forensic investigation, was going to shed some light into exactly what transpired at the Lekki tollgate. But I can tell you for free that we can't expect much from it because we're told that the CCTV footage was compromised and that the scene, um, the crime scene was already compromised. So, So we don't expect to hear anything new apart from what government has told us. However, here's what we know. We know that one year after, the issue of police brutality is still a thing in Nigeria, given the, the pictures and indeed the videos we saw from the NSA's anniversary. We saw police, police Lagos, the, <laughs> the Lagos Police Command initially even threatened protesters not to come out. Thereafter, they allowed some car procession, but we saw people molested, people beaten, people arrested you know, even one year after. Today on the podcast, we're talking about giving young people a place. For me, it's a depressing topic because I've ha- I've been a part of this conversation for too many a time and I'm really concerned. So I'm hoping to keep up my optimistic face and um, carry this conversation along, hoping that things eventually would get better. Let me introduce to you um, my guests on this particular podcast as we um, find some, 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 some sucker in sharing with one another what we consider to be the way forward for Nigeria. Essia Yebena is a counseling psychologist who joins us on for the first time on the Thinking Reimagined podcast. Good to see you, Essay. Thank you so much for joining us. BC Alami joins us live from London, public speaker, international development consultant, and media commentator. Hajarat Sudio Shaw is the public relations officer of NAPTI Lagos Command. I can't remember at the top of my head the full meaning of NAPTI, but I'm sure she does. It has to do with um, something, something about, um, my bad, <laughs> something, something about human trafficking in Nigeria. But don't worry. It's all right, Nifemi. Hajarat, good to see you. Okay. Babat Sade Ogutime is a researcher. My pleasure. 
with the New Central TV. Good to see you, Baba, today. Victoria Clement is a teenage advocate. We're glad to have you join us. Moses Omohena. Moses Omohena. I'm so excited about Moses being on this podcast. He used to be my TV, TV hero. Um, Moses is a marketing and um, brand consultant, media strategist. Moses considers himself a feminist as well as a justice and equality activist. Welcome, everyone. It's a full house. So let's get started. Let me start with Essay. Essay, one year after, um, talk to me. What do you think about young people getting a voice in Nigeria? Do you think that the NSAS protest last year changed anything? Um, I don't really... One of the things we learned about the process last year was we could what what we were capable of doing when we come together. I think that was that's a take home from the protest. But progress, um, nothing, nothing. I've not seen any progress so far. One year after, no, no progress. But there is the talk about perhaps um, giving young people the fact that perhaps for the first time in a long time we saw young people come together, you know, united in their call and united in, in their voice as regards what they want. Some say perhaps they were pushed to the wall. Do you think there's some form of progress in that regard that um, we're hearing young people talk truth to power? Yeah, I, I commend a lot of young people that spoke up and are still speaking about the NSAS movement. Um, but, but funny enough, I've seen a lot of people take on different perspectives to it. And um, even the, the NSAS protest being hijacked by different, different motives. Um, so it's a mixed feeling for me. Yes, young people are, are now willing to speak up because they know they can be heard. But there is still this fear after the shooting. So, we are like, oh, should we come out or should we just keep quiet and let this? But I, I believe um, things can never be the same. Can never, ever be the same. All right, let me bring BC on um, this conversation. Um, so I, I've had quite a number of people say, yes, young people spoke, um, but um, are we doing enough? Um, because I know that I've also covered a few staggered um, election after October 20, 2020. And it does appear that it's back to the norm. People feel that they can change things by talking, by tweeting. But there seem to be more to that, BC, in the sense that um, you, are, you can protest. I mean, protest is great. But if you don't actively involve yourself in electoral process, you may not necessarily change anything. Do you agree with me? I completely agree with you, but I, I, I was, I, I'm going to answer that. Let me quickly answer that. How can young people take part in the electoral system in Nigeria when to contest for a public office, you will have to have a certain amount of money in your bank account. What is right, the minimum wage of a Nigerian to dare to aspire for political offices? And it's not just that, the system is extremely corrupt that even your mother will not vote for you if you don't bribe her to vote for you. So you not only have to have the money to pay for the form, you also have the money to pay to contest against people who have got fathers within the political system. 
So let's forget about getting involved in politics. And I'm not here to spread doom. Unless we change the political structure in Nigeria and take money completely out of it. So that if I want to contest for election, I can go to anywhere where the electoral form is. I can collect the form. I don't have to pay any money. And I just have to be competent enough. It's happening in the UK. What you do in the UK is you will lose your deposit if you don't meet a certain number of percentage in the, electoral, uh, in the election. But even if you meet this percentage and you did not win the vote, they give you back your money. So which means that you get your money back and you don't have to bribe anyone because there's a level of accountability. And that is what is lacking in Nigeria. But I just want to quickly say something to what you said about um, what is currently happening now. You know, there's a saying that says that the people that forget history are doomed to repeat it. And what is happening in Nigeria is that we tend to think that NSAS is a pivotal moment in the history of Nigeria. And that is the problem that I have with young people, because it is not. There was a June 12th um, 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 riot. There was the year after June 12th, there was, there was riot. There was the, the 19, the about women's riot. There have been in the history of Nigeria, series of civils, civil um, Nigerians rising up against authoritarians all over the history of Nigeria in every decade. But the point is this, every time it happens, we think that we are the best to do it. Instead of us saying, when it happened in 1993, what did we get wrong? Why did we find ourselves in this position? And what can we learn from it? I hope that in 10 years, when a new group of Nigerians come out to protest against the government, they will not forget 2020 October because it matters and it's part mm. of our history. Unfortunately, BC, we don't teach history in Nigerian schools. So that, that may have affected <laughs> um, you know, reason in that regard. Let me bring Moses into this conversation. We'll talk about October 20. The most memorable for me is October 21. And that was when I had um, where I work burned. So after the Lekki shooting, there was some sort of a reprisal attack. And um, another set of nine young Nigerians, because they were young people, took up arms, burnt down public and private facilities. I saw the studio where I work um, um, uh, burnt down, and I mean literally burnt down. Colleagues who were close to me almost lost their lives. Their cars were burnt. And you know, sometimes when I when I re reminiscent and think on these things, it, it makes me in some way question the efficacy of protests. And I'm not in any way saying that Nigerians do not have a right. They do have a right under the Nigerian constitution. But I also think that where your rights ends is where um, another starts in some way. So here's the way I look at it. I think of it, look at look at um, ASU, ASU strike, for instance. It's been with us forever. ASU was on strike for many months, I think last year. And for crying out loud, they are considering going back on strike. It didn't solve anything. Look at look at some resident doctors. They were on strike for many weeks. After a while, they went on strike, but the issues were not resolved. They're also planning to go on strike again. The point I'm trying to make is that, are we continuing this conversation beyond just gathering young people uh, uh, in civil disobedience to actually thinking of what more pragmatic means can we seize power and make this community or this nation a better place for all of us. All right, um, thank you Femi for that. Um, 
Yeah, I was. I had some emotional connection to when I saw you know TVC being raised to the ground because you know um, yeah, I TVC will always be a part of my of my of my personal and career history. But to answer your question more succinctly, what more pragmatic ways that we can adopt to you know to move this great nation forward? Um, a couple of factors really. Um, BC has talked about you know knowing our history and not repeating you know what went wrong and just being more pragmatic and more deliberate you know whatever actions we you know we, we take uh, moving forward um one of the things I, I see that is entirely lacking first of all is we need to ask ourselves what exactly is the attention of young nigerians in nigeria what grabs nigerians attention as youths when you take a survey of young people young nigerians or youths in nigeria an average Nigerian wants to talk about entertainment and showbiz, right? There isn't really a deliberate, you know, intention to be, to, to be focused on things that truly matter and affect their lives and their future. A Nigerian youth wants to know the number of cars that the video is driving or the, re, or the, or the amount of, of wristwatch that Whiskey just bought or what's happening. You know, it's basically entertainment and showbiz. Now, we just, we're just talking about, you know, in quotes, Tewasavich, sex tape. I went on Instablog the other day and I saw over, I saw thousands of requests by young Nigerians wanting to watch the sex tape. And then I'm asking myself, how many of these young Nigerians will be interested in watching a Senate plenary opening or session? How many Nigerians will be interested in wanting to see, to watch live the, the president's national address and objectively criticize it? So first of all, we need to, we need to ask young Nigerians as youths, we need to channel our attention to things that truly matter. And secondly, I think there has to be a political will, right? There are a lot, we talk too much in this country. There's a lot of talk shops, a lot of, you know, sensitization, you know, a lot of summits here and there, but then like, there just, just has to be a political will to get the job done, do the damn job. Whatever BC has talked about here, whatever SC has talked about here, whatever we're all going to talk about here is not rocket science. It's just basic, for crying out loud, just provide basic amenities. Invest in the educational system. We, we cannot even begin to talk about the value of education in any society where an average Nigerian can send their child to a primary, secondary, and tertiary institution and get quality education. Now, if the educational sector, for example, is bad, what is the quality of youth or Nigerians that comes out tomorrow to take leadership roles? The Minister of Education, where is kids studying abroad? What does that say to you exactly? Right? There has to be a political will and there has to be serious consequences when those political wills are being you know, denied, I think. So yeah, that's, um, and then finally, I would like to speak to even the integrity that behind our roles as youth or in quote, you know, um, activism, right? When I talk about integrity, the question is, as a youth activist or a celebrity that has a platform to talk about, you know, you, you and I know that there are a lot of celebrities that when the cameras are rolling, you know, they're all, there's all activism, they're all, you know, um, answers, answers. But when the cameras are shot, these same youth are the ones that, that will do the beatings of these same politicians that they are coming to condemn. You know, in quotes, according to colloquial expression, sellouts, right? How many, there are so many of our young Nigerians, young professionals, young stakeholders who in public fronts will join the match and then go behind bars 
and do the biddings of these politicians. So what are we talking about? There has to be an integrity behind even our activism. So yeah, um, yeah, th these are really things I think we, we need to we need to start talking about and deliberately executing as fast as possible. And then the caliber of of candidates that we bring to the polls, really, because if you bring, you know, I'm sorry to use this word, if you bring an idiot, you know, in Asoro, you're going to get, you know, idiotic policies. If you bring somebody who doesn't even understand the value of the economy, the value of the naira, the quality of it, the value of education, basic education then what sort of leadership are you going to get? We need to understand that the quality of candidates will bring to the polls. And Nigeria is not a two-party system. Nigeria is not only about APC and PDP. There are over 50 political parties and we need to start looking inwards, looking into those people, into other political parties, researching our candidates, you know, and saying, what has this man done? You know, in, in the American political structure, for example, when someone comes to office, you literally open, your, your life becomes an open book. There are scandals about you. You're being researched, scrutinized here and there. We need to start doing that here in Nigeria, basically. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. Absolutely, Moses. Um, you talked about political will. It's also important that young people follow um, updates from the National Assembly as we speak right now. So uh, um, there's a bill that has passed its second reading at the floor of the Senate, and it's about... Um, um, it's about politicians or rather parties um, um, using direct primary to elect candidates. And that's very powerful. It means therefore that Nigerians can decide in a way directly who emerges you know, the political candidates. Because as we speak, there is no independent candidacy. What it means therefore is that young Nigerians, more young Nigerians now have to join parties and determine the quality of people who emerge as candidates. In addition to that is also the fact that uh, um, the lawmakers are also now supporting the use of um, electronic transmission of results. And that's where most of the electoral frauds come to play. The fact that you vote in a polling unit and then some some people, some folks somewhere add some figures when it is collation time. What they're saying now is that if this bill or this amendment is passed into law, right from the polling units, everyone can tell who has won the election. It means that nobody, nobody indeed can you know, change the figures. And I think that there's no better time for young people to take advantage of this. Well, let me bring Babatunde uh, on. Babatunde is a journalist. Interestingly, I saw a video from New Central where your guys were literally kitting up to cover <laughs> the NSAS anniversary. I mean, I saw them wearing masks, wearing bulletproof. And I'd like you to talk to us about um, the role of journalism in all of this, because um, that played a significant role last year where there was, you know, just the, just, just many things to talk about. People taking sides, people not telling exactly what happened. Media stations saying, oh, so does it not shoot? I mean, it's about what government is quoting. Do we have the kind of bold, real, unbiased journalism that can do the job at this time that we're considering getting more young people taking their place? Babatunde. Thank you very much. I think uh, I think we do have um, journalism at its peak in Nigeria. We have journalists who can do um, some of these things that will educate some of our youth. All right. So um, I'll get back to Babatunde. Perhaps you can help us get to a place where 
uh, you can get a better reception. Let's bring Victoria. Victoria Clement is perhaps the youngest of all the panelists I have of this episode. And um, she has um, the dream to, to be a broadcaster. I'd just like to hear from you um, what, what your feelings are from this particular conversation and what you have seen trans, um, happen in the past days vis-a-vis um, -vis the NSA's anniversary and what you consider to be um, efforts of young people. Okay, it's my own opinion. Hello? Well, it's my own opinion. I feel that the um, the Nigerian government is very corrupt. And due to the level of corruption in Nigerian government, this has put in so many fear in the hearts of Nigerian youths. Because no Nigerian youths want to like put in their efforts into something that is not going to bring in youth um, fruitful ends. And let's say for instance now in the Nigerian government, like in Nigeria system, sorry, uh, youths is legal to vote when he or she is probably 18 years. Okay, once you are 18, you are free to vote, come out, vote for who you want, who you want to rule Nigeria and other stuff. But why is it that in Nigerian constitution, it is written that once you are only 30 and above, that is when you are able to go for any political post or do anything politically. And I think this um, aspect is very wrong. This aspect is very wrong. And this is one of the reasons why youths are being non-challenged when it comes to the political affairs of Nigeria. And due to the fears they've been put in right from time, because um, I have a friend of mine. I have a friend of mine, uh, elder brother initially, that was, I think, two years ago. He wanted to go into the political affairs. Of, and his mother was like, you've not even eaten. You don't even have money. Don't you know that political affairs are meant for old senators, people that, you know, they are, that they are very rich. They can able to um, do so many things when it comes to campaigns and stuff like that. So I think all these motives, everything is just wrong. And it won't help the youth at all. And concerning the um, NSAS and um, the stuff that happened last year, 2020, I feel that this has also brought in so many fears into the hearts of youth because I personally, as a youth, ever since that incident happened, killing of innocent youth and stuff, I can't even come out and say, okay, let me support Nigeria when it comes to political affairs. No, I'll be scared because I'm thinking that my life will be put at risk and other stuff. So I just feel that the corruption in Nigeria is way too much for youth to handle. That is why so many youths are not ready to participate in any political activities in Nigeria. Thank you. Absolutely, uh, Victoria. As recent as 2018, I think that th th there was an adjustment in the eligibility age that you talked about from 40 to 35 years uh, where the presidency is concerned in Nigeria. I think it also moved down to 30 years from 35 for governorship, uh, the same for Senate. And I think uh, people as low as young as 25 years uh, might be able to run for a house of reps. Um, really, it's a very tricky one for me because when you say 18 years old, I mean, 
Moses talked to us about what young people are doing on Instagram. <laughs> I actually, uh, um, it's debatable anyways. I think that the law is fair enough. I mean, as young as 25, you can be, you can be um, a member or a lawmaker at the House of Assembly. Does anybody think otherwise? Do you think that there's an issue with the eligibility age? Uh, because the question really would be, do the young people in Nigeria have as much experience? Um, do we have a capable 35-year-old who has the political wherewithal and the kind of experience required to rule or lead this nation? Who wants to react to that very quickly? Um, I think that argument will hold if there is enough evidence to show that the people who are in a position of power at the moment have the world without to have to hold those power. Yes, so you can then have the, the argument that, okay, if we bring young people in, they wouldn't be able to do it because we have old people there. They have no clue what they have, they are doing there. They have no clue, absolutely none. You see them, they go there, they sleep. To them, it's a way to secure the bag. It is not about politics and it is not about Nigeria. It is a way for them to secure the bag for them and their generation. And the fundamental question is, why do we still have life pension for presidency in Nigeria? Why do we have newspaper allowance for political, um, uh, 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 for people that are elected? So this is why these people go there. And the question young people are asking is this, if old people can chop Nigerian cake, young people also deserve to eat part of the cake. Let us eat Nigeria. Let us throw what is left in the bin and we all can go home. It shouldn't be the right of old people to destroy the future of Nigeria for young people. And we, Nigeria is never going to move on. Move on if the people that it will affect in the next 10, 20 years are not at the table framing and shaping the future of that country. So we should stop telling young people that they don't have the skill because our old generation are equally lacking of skill to run the country as young people. In, in addition, just okay, quickly add to what um, to what BC has uh, rightly said. I think um, I think I'm going to go I'm going to go with uh, with Victoria. Um, I think it should be brought down to 18, because we've seen 21 year olds, 20 year olds in this country who are doing great things, you know, in their in their career, and we've seen 30 year olds who are fumbling in office, right? Which is the reason why you have a selection process and a debate process where you can now sieve out you know, those who have the true potential for leadership or not, right? So an 18-year-old, for example, who goes, who wants to go in for office and he goes to the polls, you know, to he shows up at a debate uh, summit. And let's say, paraventure, because of, in quotes, his sense of immaturity or inexperience, you know, he fumbles. The psychology behind that is that when he becomes 19 or 20, he has already gained the experience of that process. And so he, if he really wants to serve, he will do put in his best foot forward. So by the time he's even 30, he already has an experience in what the political industry, because the political journey in Nigeria, you need that experience, you know, to get to a certain level, right? And um, sp speaking about, um, you know, about age and all that, how many of us have seen Buhari during the campaign come up with a presidential debate? How about if Aine can come up with a law that says, for political, um, um, for the political candidateship candidacy or governorship candidacy, if you fail to come up to show at the authorized or you know um, the authorized debate session, you are automatically disqualified. 
you will see the number of serious things that will come up you know, over time. So, I mean, the two debates that were even set up for the presidential, for the highest office you know, in, in the land, the president did not even show up. That body language obviously says a lot. So yes, that's, um, I, I, think, um, I think I'm going to go with Victoria. I think it should be brought down to 18. When, once you are 18, in the eyes of the law, if you can, if at 18 years you can, you can be jailed you know, in a maximum prison, then why can't you run for office? Why can't you? I think that you've raised another very important issue, the fact that um, people who win elections in Nigeria do not even attend debates. And that's very devastating because Nigerians do not even have, you know, the opportunity to hear them out and, you know, in a way, assess or rather assess their level of intelligence. Esse, let me hear your point of view on this matter. Particularly, I want you to also consider the fact that there's this thing they call the 33% affirmative action, where women and young people are demanding that certain um, offices should be given to them. Will, will it be given to them or they will have to take it? What do you think about that, Esse? I, okay, I want, to, I want to say this before I answer that question. Um, I think one of the mindsets we have in Africa or this part of the world is still in, in the days where we used to elect leaders based on age and gray hair and gray beard. So it's a mindset thing, basically. That's why um, an average Nigerian will not see a young person as being capable of taking on any governorship role or so even if someone at the age of 35, for instance, comes out, most people will say, no, he's not old enough to rule because we still have that mindset that he needs experience. And I wonder the experience that the leaders we have right now have actually used or they have, and I don't understand why we pick them. So um, that being said, I, I will not say giving them the position will be the best way forward because it's, it's going to bring in a lot of, um, unqualified people into positions where they won't really fit in. I think our, uh, we should have a selection process. And like, um, I think it was Babs that said, we should also have um, debates. So if you really want to do this thing, you speak up, okay, what are you going to do when you get there? And not just say, they are going to feed um, all Nigerians, everybody we have food. I think all those, um, like real policies that we need. So the questions will now be this issue, how are you going to handle this issue? You have solution for this issue and then the best man wins. So if a, a young person of 30, 35 or a young person of 25 has the best policies, has the best ideas, then that person goes in instead of, of what we have right now. As we speak now, conversations have begun as to who should emerge as a presidential candidate for the 2023 election. This is 2021. And um, what we don't understand yet in Nigeria is that it's like when the Bible says a thousand years is like a day. I mean, the next election is upon us already. And I can tell you for free that the names that we have on the names are the same old people that we're talking about. There are no young people speaking out. There are no young people mobilizing in the area of um, voter education, in the area of uh, um, ensuring that more young people are involved. Some are even saying, okay, if you're not yearning for the biggest job in the country, what about getting more young people as counselors? What about getting more young people 
you know, as lawmakers who can effect change in the communities where they work, live, and do business. It is why we also question the integrity, like what Moses talked about, of many young or youth activists. I mean, they come out to protest, and that's the last you hear of it. I mean, you can almost agree that they must have collected some money and then they go back into their cocoon. You don't hear from them again for many years. It's just like some perennial political candidates who come for election, lose the election, and you don't hear from them, you know, all through the period of that administration. In other developed communities, they even come up with parallel government, providing alternative for every government policy, showing that they are serious, they mean business, they're not just, you know, you know canvassing for votes. I'm told that um, Babatunde is back now. Uh, okay, we haven't heard from Hajara. Oh, I'm so sorry. I, I'm so sorry. So let's hear from Hajara. Um, um, Napti. Okay, hold on. I have to know what this means. Just give me a minute, guys. Um, uh, okay. Hajara, are you there? Hajara Tundia Shaw is Yes, I am Nifemi. I'm so sorry. I am sorry that I left you hanging. Yeah, sorry. I've been in transit. Okay. But you have been following the conversation, have you? National Agency for Prohibition of Trafficking in Persons. Public Relations Officer, Lagos Command. Hajara, are you there? So we probably will get back to you, Hajara. Let me get another reaction to this, particularly as we begin to talk about what young people need to do. So who's going next? Who has an idea for us? We already know what the problems are. Let's talk about active steps, proactive steps, pragmatic decisions that must be taken now uh, by thought leaders who are young people, particularly as we come down to another big one in 2023. So um, let me call. Okay. Yes, Moses, go ahead. Well, um, I think I think first and foremost, sensitization is key. Um, I think first of all, we need to we need to sensitize and reorientate our young people that politics is not meant for politicians only. That politics is meant for every every Nigerian citizen. If you're if you're if you're Nigerian living in Nigeria or whoever you are, you're living in Nigeria, politics is meant for you. Why? Because politics directly and indirectly affects and runs your life. When we have that orientation, then hopefully there would be some level of you know, um, interest into it. And I think that we all, um, all of us, we need to understand that we all have a stake to play, role to play, especially our celebrities or public figures who have very high followings across social media platforms. We cannot even begin to underestimate the power of, of, of social media right now, especially when you have a huge uh, followership base on changing mindsets. Our celebrities need to constantly orientate and remind young people that, hey, get your PVC. That's where it starts from. Get registered. How many young people know that at the moment there is an online INEC registration going on? How many people know that? And you know, the funny thing is that our stakeholders know that young people don't really pay attention, so they're they are capitalizing on that. There isn't any nationwide mass campaign going on by INEC, you know, on, on traditional forms of media, on billboards or outdoors or grassroots channels. 
to sensitize people to go to their various local governments, you know, go online, register, and then go to the, uh, to the local government to get your PVC collection. Why? Because they know that you and I are not really showing interest. And so they want to capitalize on that. So the lower the amount of young people that have their PVC, the higher the chances of rigging the election. That's the strategy. So young people need to, we, need, we, all, need, we all have a stake. You know, celebrities, public figures, every single person has a stake, you know, on your, on your channels. There has to be a consistent sensitization that get your PVC, get your PVC. That is, that's the first step. And then research your candidates. Anybody being put up, you know, across all the social, all the uh, political parties, there are not just one, there are over 50 political parties. Research your candidates, show interest. What, what background does this man or woman come from? You know, and yeah, I think, um, I, I, I really think it boils our sensitization and orientation. Over time, with the consistency of that, even when, you know, from docile, lackadaisical, you know, young um, Nigerians, over time, you see that there's, there's, there's going to be a change of attitude and change of orientation towards politics. I like that. Over time, you're not optimistic that things are going to change in the short term, Moses, are you? Um, I, I, I think it would be unrealistic or too utopic, really, to say that it's going to change overnight. It won't. It's going to take time. Because, it, because of the depth, you know, at which uh, corruption and, uh, um, yeah, you know, has, has eaten deep into our fabric. But the most important thing that there has to be, there has to be progressive steps being made. There has to be one step forward, two steps forward, and not one step forward and three steps backwards. You know, for me, I think, um, like BC said, you know, let's see the change, however gradual, but there has to be some changes. You, you rightly mentioned about grassroots engagement. The power really doesn't really lie in Asorok. The power lies in the Senate. That's where the real power lies. The House of Rep and the Senate, lower and the upper chambers, the local government uh, chairmanship. That's where the real power lies. Those are the people that, that actually change, you know, changes policies that can actually even, um, you know, take the president out of office if he becomes, you know, if he's been unanimously agreed to be a tyrant. So yes, we need to, there has to be a gradual change. It may not happen overnight. And we, we people like me are willing to wait. We're willing to wait to see that change happen, but let it happen. Let, let us see, let us see you know, progressive step that is actually going to happen. We're rounding off now. So I'd like you guys to start thinking of your closing remark on this particular conversation. I'm told that Babatunde is back. Babatunde, how do you think we can deal with this voter apathy, a situation where People do not believe any longer in the electoral system. So they don't even care to register. They don't care even if they register, they don't care to get their PVCs. If they get their PVCs on election day, they are watching movies back at home. No one cares really to participate actively in the process. How do you think these can be dealt with? Thank you very much. Um, I think what we should to to get to get across of this, we should be asking ourselves: What efforts are the youths making to ensure their participation in leadership position uh, by earning their rightful place in the society? The question is: They are not doing enough because if you look at our current um, leaders who seem to have refused to give way to the younger generations, although they came into leadership in the sixties and the seventies, but power wasn't dropped to their laps. There's no way all over the world where power is served a la carte. Uh, and for 
us to make a change, we should make sure that our, when we come into when we want to come into this leadership positions, we must be able to volunteer. Volunteering is key because when we look at our current set of leaders, we can learn a whole lot of lessons from them. Although they might not be seen as doing the right things, but there is a whole lot we could learn from them. They volunteer these leadership positions. They didn't just come because um, the the they were forced into these leadership positions. No, they intentionally made their efforts to join this, to be able to contribute their quota. Their motivations was in the expectation that history was etched into our memories these days. Some of them suffered so much persecutions and a various form of incarceration. The present generation of youths need to believe and be deliberate about what they are doing. Most of them com complain that uh, the elders do not give us the chance. Although leadership is not a matter of age, but the quality of uh, the individuals and um, the kind of um, stuff you could add you know, to you know, the leadership position. But you see most of them complain that uh, no, we, the leaders are not giving us, but one has to deploy all uh, resources and sacrifices for leadership to take their rightful positions that youths must be ambitious one, they must be ready to learn and rise through the ranks. It's not enough to want to become it. And if you can't learn it unless you rise through the ranks, the wisdom of these leaders must blend with youth's academic intelligence. We must do everything possible to make sure that we take this leadership and only by doing this can we be accorded our right to this in society. All right, thank you very much, Babs. Oh, we, we um, can I just quickly can I just quickly say something to some of the yes, things I can that see you nodding your head already? Go ahead. Because I just feel like you know, um this is not fair. This is this is pure fallacy. Whatever Babs just said now is pure fairy tale that is not real. Let us dissect some of the things that you said. You said these people didn't have power handed over to them like Al-Qaeda. That was what happened. In 1960, the people that took control of this country were people that power were given to by the British and created a political elite in Nigeria from Obafemi Awolowo to Inande Azikwe to Amado Bello to Enahoro. We created, Nigeria created a political elite that did not fight for the power. We didn't do it. We didn't raise hands like the Ethiopian did against, against the Italian. We never fought a war for the soul of this country. Power was given to us. And then you said the Nigerian youth are not doing enough. I have said that before, and I'm going to say it again. How do you expect young people to do something when everything or the system is designed to not allow them to do something? And I respect if there's any youth in any country in the world that has tried against all odds to do better, be better, it is the Nigerian youth. Because everything is designed against them. There is no electricity. The educational system is rubbish. The healthcare system is rubbish. The roads will kill you. But despite that fact, the Nigerian youth are still surviving. They are still controlling and keeping the economy of Nigeria going. So when we sit down and lambast Nigerian youth, let us ask ourselves this fundamental question. 
what are we doing and what have we done? And you talk about Nigerian you should get involved in politics. They are there. I grew up on the streets of Mushi and I knew how involved young people are in politics. But you will never get to the point of power unless your father is a current chairman or your father knows somebody who is in the house of rep and who wants to get under power. But if you are a nobody, no one cares about you. Even if you have the grandiose experience to change Nigeria, nobody is going to give you that opportunity. So please, let us stop spreading fallacy about the problem of Nigeria and the solution of Nigeria. Nigeria is designed to kill everything that is in it by the political elite. And the problem is not the Nigeria. Are you saying the problem that is, is Nigeria. Are you saying basically that it's a hopeless situation? I'm not saying it's a hopeless situation. It is not a hopeless situation because if it is hopeless, we wouldn't be having this conversation. We all can just pack up and go home. But we have to identify the key actors in this issue. But we also have to be very strategic. And going back to something that Moses said, we have the answer staring us right in the face. What do the Americans do during the final night of, 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 the, of, the, of the ball? They put important strategic advertisements on TV when they know that the whole of America will be watching the ball that night. What is the most watched show on, in Nigeria, on Nigerian TV? Big Brother Nigeria. If we are indeed sincere about wanting to energize Nigerian youth, then we will put strategic political announcements on Big Brother as adverts, because that's when young people sit down to watch it. And if millions of Nigerians can vote to keep their celebrities in office, in the Big Brother house. They can vote to keep their favorite politicians in office, but they don't know that. So we keep saying that there is no answer. The answer is right in our faces. What pains me is the people who call themselves communication strategists in Nigeria, because that's where the, that's where the answer lies and have not provided any solution for 61 years. Look at NTA, it's like a graveyard, right? So. We can just try to reinvent the wheel. The answer, the solution is staring us in the face. But are we bold enough to take it mm. and solve the problem? I can see Moses' hands are up. Please go ahead, Moses. Well, yeah, um, I think um, BC actually touched what I was, one of the strategic um, you know, steps that's, that we could take. You know, and it was as if you read my mind when he mentioned a uh, big brother, you know, basically. And um, when we talk, when when earlier on we talked about the integrity of of our young people, you know, in fighting for the cause, I think one big problem. It might seem a little bit um, vain, but it's actually very important, you know, and a significant problem. Psychophancy, psychophancy in Nigeria, especially amongst our young people, right? We talked about, you know, um, the Nigerian terrain of, of fabric being orchestrated to kill, you know, you know, and to and to beat down you know, in Nigeria at every step of the way. But then sadly, those same Nigerians who are being beat down, tomorrow, they are the same ones that would cheer and jeer these same politicians that should be booed publicly and chastised publicly, right? Look at the, the, you know, the NSAS Memorial, for example. Everybody went to social media insulting the governor of Lagos, Jide Songwo, and, and what have you. But tomorrow, if you see if if you see Judas on war at a church service or at a summit, 
A lot of those same Nigerians will flock at him and want to take selfies. What message are you sending to him? So we need to publicly, we need to learn to publicly even shame those in office that, hey, we mean business, we see you, we see the approaches that, 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 that you commit and we do not stand for it, regardless of where you find yourselves. I'm always very happy when our politicians go abroad, you know, to the Chatham House or to the UK, and they, 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 are, they, always, wait, they always meet an angry mob. It gives, me, it gives me a breath of fresh air that there is hope after all. We need to start doing that here in Nigeria. Try Nigerians. So yeah, um, thank you. I agree with you. So I'm going to allow everyone to have their final say, uh, but I'd just like to chip in a few things. Um, and one of it is that I don't think that Nigeria has ever had a foreign individual or a foreign nationality as president. And it's personal opinion. I think that um, sometime and somehow the leadership, the quality of leadership that we've had in some way have also shown to us um, the quality that is available in the society. I had a conversation with someone recently who mentioned that, I think it was a sideline of the answers anniversary. And he was saying that, see, sack every police personnel in Nigeria today and employing new ones. It's not going to solve the problem. He said the average Nigerian abuses power. And it's not about whether you're president. You need to go to banks and see how gate men treat people who come, who come looking for jobs. You need to see how an Okada man who doesn't know who perhaps, who is carrying a passenger who doesn't have an idea of his, his or her destination. It is a reflection of who we are as a people. And I think the young people must also begin to explore how we can change this reality at every sphere where we find ourselves, at our places of work and families, in you know, in places that are not necessarily our places of authority. I also like to add this point that the call for a young Nigeria is not a new one. No. Nigeria has had a young president as far back as 1966. And let me just get my figures right. Um, what's this guy's name? Yakubu Gowan. Yakubu Gowan was how old when he was president? It was 31 years old, guys. And but he's still power. He's still no, no, power. No, no, Nigeria no, no. did not vote for him. He's still yes, power. Yes, yes I, I agree with you, but he was young. Perhaps the longest serving Nigerian to be president, 1966 to 1975. Muritala Mohammed who we consider to have done at, at least his beat in some way was 37 years when he was president. Obasanjo was 39. Buhari was 41 years when he, the first time he was head of state. So the point I'm also trying to make is that beyond putting young people there, it's not just about the energy of a young person. It has to be a young person who knows what he's or what she's doing. I mean, it doesn't, I don't think it's really about the age you know, America, for instance, look at Joe Biden is how old? I mean, Joe Biden is, well, officially should be older than our own president. But the point I'm trying to make is that it's beyond the age or the sex. It's about the quality of mind that we're putting there as head. Yes, head of state, Dr. Amai saying is different from president. But um, even as far as 1996, Yakubu Gowon was referred to as president and I mean, I mean, head of, head of state. 
he was called Nigerian president as far back as 1996, I mean, 1966. But the point I'm also trying to make is that how do we begin to uh, inspire change at all of our levels? I can show you a head of department at a place of work who is just unnecessarily being annoying because he has the position. I mean, it's the same guy who is going to be abusing Buhari, but he's not doing any better. How do we demand better from our young people? And at every strata, I mean, at every stratum of life, at every level of life, how do we ensure that we give our best as a student, as a teacher, as a medical doctor? I must have shared the story. My wife was going to have a baby and a doctor in this country called me and was asking me for bribe that if I don't give him some money, she's going to have a baby through cesarean section. Can you imagine? Is that the governor of Lagos? The guy told me to give him some money, that if I don't give him some money, the, my, my wife is going to have the baby through CS. I couldn't believe it. But I was under so much pressure. I mean, what, what do you expect me to do? My wife was in the it was in the theater where I could not access. I had to give the guy some money. And thankfully, there was no CS. Imagine what would have happened. So the point I'm trying to make is that beyond seeking elective offices, what can we do to better our lives at the level where we are? How can we do our beat? You know, how do we ensure that you're not sleeping with the young girls who are seeking mentorship or who wants a job where you currently work? What is that, what is that, you know, contribution that we can make where we are to make our community better? And I feel that, you know, I can't put it accurately in words, but I hope that somebody can resonate with that. I'm going to take the last comment from everyone very quickly. We're running out of time now. Perhaps I should begin with Victoria. Let me just have your last comment on this issue, whatever it is that you need to talk about. Well, um, to me, I feel that corruption has eaten deep into the hearts of everyone in this country. Yeah. Everyone does so many corrupt stuff. Like everybody's corrupt in this country. If not only our president, not only the governor, not only in political affairs, even we individually, we are all corrupt in our own different ways. So, to my own opinion, I think that um, youth empowerment can at least help us to achieve this particular goal because when youths are empowered and when other like social medias are put in places where they can be able to empower youths at least things can become better and i feel that we should not just sit and just talk about this because this matter has been in nigeria for so many years people mm -hmm. have talked about this um corrupt um political standards and everything i think it's time for us to take actions because when we just sit and just talk and not do anything about it, everything will be the way it is, the way it is today. So I think action and youth empowerment can help solve this uh, political problem. Thank you. Thank you, Victoria. And so let's hear from you very quickly. I would like to say that um, the average Nigerian is actually suffering from um, classic case of Stockholm syndrome, where a victim falls with the perpetrator or a victim falls in love with the abuser, we now see people in government as helping us with the little they can give during election. And if until we get out of that um, mindset where we take little or whatever they can give and we sell our votes, we'll keep 
going in that circle. So one of the things we need to do is to break that circle and lead, we change our mindset of our definition of leadership. It shouldn't be about beards or white hair. It should be more about the character, quality of the character of the individual. Thank you. Thank you, Essay. Thank you, Essay. Who's that that I haven't called on? Um, let's hear it now from, um, okay, Babatuda is no longer online. So I'm just going to hear from Moses and then also get to BC. Moses, what's your final thoughts on this? Um, I, I think it's essentially, you know, um, a mindset, you know, a mindset um, problem. I think we need to, we need, we need a serious paradigm shift, you know, in our orientation, in our approach to, in our approach to institutions, our approach to, to our leaders, and even our approach to ourselves. You know, you made mention of, you know, abuse of power, but the truth is no society, you know, anywhere in the world has a perfect citizenry. You will always find bosses who are abusive with their position anywhere in the world, even in the UK or in the US, that we use as, as the standard, basically. But then um, the caliber and the quality of, regardless of that, um, all hands on deck when, when it comes to demanding for the caliber and quality of those that will stand for you in office. I'll take for example, I'll, take, I'll give an example. When Obi Ezekwisili came out for presidency, the last elections, right? How many of us here watched, you know, her debate and, you know, you, you, could, you could see that this woman was not just intelligent and brilliant beyond measure, but had the will to serve. Now, interestingly, 75% of Nigerians said they would not vote for her. Why? Because of her sex. That was just it. Because she's female. So we need to get past that. Tribalism is still a big problem in this country. Sexism is still a big problem in this country. There are brilliant, in quote, educated Nigerians and youth who would see a brilliant candidate and say, mm -mm, I, don't think I'm, I don't think I'm okay with a woman being in Asurok yet. From this very, so we need that, we need to change our mindset that regardless of age, regardless of sex, regardless of, tri of tribe, regardless of religion, let the best man win and let the best man do the job or woman do the job. I think we need to change our mindset and orientation. That's it for me, really. Let the best man or woman win, not, not the better of two evil like we've had <laughs> in time past. Basically, let's have your final thoughts on this conversation. I, I think for me, one of the things, and it fits to something that you said, Ethan, one of the things that we need to do is to start um, redefining power. And, um, and, and when I talk about redefining power, we have to start engaging with power. And, I'm, and, I, and I operate from a very unconventional position. And I know that Dr. Rama, when you came visiting, um, we had this conversation last, uh, last time. Let us stop this respect culture. It is a respect culture that is keeping all of us in shackles. Call people by their names. If you call me, sir, if you call me, man, does not mean you will not abuse me. Let us first of us remove that. Because when we're able to remove that, then we'll be able to hold the people who hold power to account. The reason why pastors, imams, and politicians are getting away with crime is because we respect that. We respect that. Remove that and let us address that. And then we have to redefine power. Power is abusive in Nigeria. And the only way Nigerians will respect you is if you abuse power. If you don't abuse power, an ordinary Nigerian will take you for granted. We need to let people know. 
the exercising of power is not about abuse, it's about, it's about empathy. And again, we need to be very, very strategic. I don't think Nigerians are dumb. And I will tell you why now we end up. The same Nigerians who will collect bribe, the same Nigerians who will go to work, get to work late and pray two hours before they do the job and they'll leave three hours so that they can go to church. The same Nigerians who will collect, do all of these atrocities. When they come to settings where there are rules and regulations and there are punishments, those same Nigerians will conform. Nigerians are not bad. The system is bad. And if we don't put structures in place that holds every Nigerian to account, we will continue to have this conversation. And that is what it's lacking. Thank you very much. I don't think you could have said it any better. Thank you guys for joining on this conversation, changing the mindset for a global uh, society and community. That's what we do here on Think and Reimagine. A big thank you to everyone who have um, spoken their heart on this one. I want to say a special thank you to S.A. Yabane, counseling psychologist, joining this podcast for the first time. Well, virtually, I think um, I saw her physically at the launch um, at the Vaturi Bureau earlier in Lagos. B.C. Alimi, good to hear you always. Public speaker, international development consultant and media commentator. Hajaratundi Oshaw is PRO of NAPTI, but we couldn't hear much from her. Uh, perhaps um, we'll bring her back in subsequent episodes. Babatundi Ogutime, researcher with Leave Central TV. Victoria Clement is a teenage advocate. And Moses Omohena as a marketing and brand consultant. A big thank you, ladies and guys. Thank you so much for talking with us today. Uh, we're sure are looking forward to host you in our subsequent episodes. See you guys some other time. I am Mifemi Oguntoye. Have a great time. Thank you for listening to Thinking Reimagined. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast and welcome your comments, insights, and learnings as we strive to transform our global society. A change in mindset, engagement, collaboration, dialogue, awareness, and education. Thinking Reimagined. Changing the mindset for a better global society. society.